0: Hello and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick. And we're your co hosts. So today we're getting chatty, right? So I'm talking about plant communication and it's going to come in two parts. First of all, how plants talk to each other. But then, part two, how you as a witch can communicate with plants because magic, hello. But then I'm also on, like, the talkative subject, covering Ogma, the god of speech and language in Irish and Scottish mythology, also Ogham's namesake. And I'm, I'm like, living for this episode, because one of my really bad old emails back in the day was wordsaspoutin at hotmail.com. So,
1: made um, for
0: me and all of my Leo placements.
1: Shout out to <laughs> Hotmail. I feel like this is like um, like a late Gemini season episode.
0: Yeah, rather it is. Th- it is.
1: Rather than an early cancer season episode. Um, and that's just how I feel.
0: Yeah, we're just not ready to let go of Gemini season yet. We're really not fine.
1: ready. To, uh, we're not ready to shut the fuck up about Gemini season. <laughs> um, but so I'm talking about the magic of poetry. ah. Full stop, which again, I'm like, yeah, this is such a Gemini episode. Like a Gemini wrote this episode.
0: Yeah. I um so speaking of Geminis, oh my God. I have to like at the top talk about one of my Gemini loves, Killian Murphy. And can we talk about how terrifying his chart is? A Gemini man with an Aries moon and a uh, shit ton of Taurus placements. I'm like, oh my God, I'm scared of him and horny. Yeah, what's happening
1: i'm soaking wet i'm soaking wet for cillian murphy's chart
0: but also his like soft boy saturn and cancer
1: oh yeah okay so but you know we're gonna talk about this in my segment um but before we really get in to to the this very like gemini themed episode um when did you feel the magic this week
0: Oh my God. So I texted Nick about this yesterday. Actually, I made some sun tea because we've been talking about making sun tea with all the like solar energies in the air. And I made a sun tea that was lemon balm, pineapple sage, and just like a couple of chamomile flowers, like all of this from my garden, like fresh cut yesterday morning, covered them all in water, put them out in the sun. And oh my God, it was so good. Like
1: that and, and and I that did sound incredible and I was jealous. Um
0: Well we'll make some when you're here in August.
1: Oh and and yes, I am so excited. It's literally like a month away because I'm not counting the end of this month because it's four days away. It's
0: and done. This month is
1: I'm, done. And I'm not counting the like four days in August.
0: Because why would you?
1: Because why would you? so really it's one month away it's exactly one month away
0: Um. (laughs) exactly um nick what about you when did you feel magical this week
1: so i felt magical this week it was actually okay so i have had quite a week um for some personal reasons that i'm not going to get into but i also like really fucked up my back oh um
0: Welcome to your uh, 30s, children that are listening to this.
1: Yeah, I know, like literal children that are listening. Um, yeah, your 30s love um, injuring my back in my sleep.
0: Oh my God, I tweaked my upper back in my sleep last night.
1: So love it, love it, love it. I mean, to everyone that's watching on Patreon, you can see that my neck is so stiff, it's a little crooked. My neck's a little crooked. Um, So that's cool. But um, once once I got over that, though, okay, but I was kind of, like, laid up, right? So, like, I was not in a lot of pain. Like, once I got the knot out, I was just kind of resting. You know, we're having, like, yeah. a moment of, we're, we're just resting. But um, I knew I had poetry as a topic this week. So all week long, I have just been, like, kind of reading poetry. Like, I reread God, I Feel Modern Tonight. Um... Which is now signed. I know it's now a signed copy because, Woo! um, and I've also just been reading like all of those like old school poems that they made you read. Um, shout out to um, stop uh, stopping by the woods on a snowy snowy evening. Oh
0: my god, yes. I was Nick and I were texting about this, and I was like, as a choir kid, poetry like is very much a part of the choral tradition and the number of choral arrangements I have been like that I have sang of stopping by the woods on a snowy evening like I cannot exaggerate so many and I love them all
1: yes so gosh what is today Sunday so Friday night uh I got cut early from work because it's summer season it's kind of slow and I was laid up on my couch like heat Okay, <laughs> reading poetry and drinking um fucking a board spritzer, and I was like, "Oh my god, I am a goddess right now!" Like,
0: yeah, you're like, uh, "It's fine, I'm all powerful, NBD."
1: But no, just like just like a lot, la- like literally, like lounging on the couch, reading poetry, like drinking wine and like black raspberry liqueur. I That's really, I, I, it was, it was, um, it was Dionysian, it was Venusian, it was
0: all things good.
1: It was everything. It was everything.
0: I love that. Well, I think before we get too much into the topic, obviously we have to address the elephant in the room. Uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned.
1: Yeah, that, that, uh, was a, that was a time when I did not feel magical this week.
0: No, um, and I mean, there's so much good like community organizing that's going on. But I think, especially as witches, first of all, like this is the time for baneful magic. I really think so. If you are someone that has a practice that includes things like hexing, go for it. Oh, yeah. It's the season. But oh, also, yeah. uh, many of you probably know, if you've listened to this podcast at all, that I now live in California and there's what they call The west coast offensive and so this offer just like stands for any listeners if you have family or friends that need help that need a place to stay in california to come for abortion care like i'm not joking email us and i will give you my personal cell phone number get in touch i have a guest room i live in la there are plenty of like abortion providers around Uh, If you need mail ordered abortion medication and you're scared to get it sent to you because you live in an insane state or you live with people that you can't trust, email us. I'll give you my personal cell. You can send it to me here in L.A. I'll put it in a fucking bag of jelly beans and mail it to you with like a card or some shit like just please know that you are very, very supported here as much as possible but also don't donate to Planned Parenthood right now. Like Planned Parenthood doesn't need your money. Go straight to abortion funds. That's just like, as a professional fundraiser, I also think that's really important to add. Also, don't fucking donate to Democrat, like fucking politicians who have had so long to codify Roe v. Wade and haven't done it and haven't protected your voting rights, fuck them. They don't like-
1: Fuck no, because I literally was like, "Why are y'all in my DMs right now? Like trying yeah. to get money? Like,
0: like, excuse me, um, and vote blue no matter who? With what fucking voting rights, bitches? Like, it's I'm like sorry. it's like it's no. like we
1: already we already gave y'all money and y'all won the elections that you said you needed to win, and
0: you've still done nothing.
1: Still done I, nothing.
0: It's it's I feel like it's just so much." one of those instances where it's like, we can't rely on the system that broke everything to fix it. And like, yes, protesting is important. And yes, like civil unrest is super necessary, but I think this is a very important time to turn to community care and like taking care of each other. So that's just like my two cents. I like to think I have some leg to stand on to talk about this because number one, I've had an abortion in Texas like, full disclosure, I got an abortion in Texas in the year of our Lord 2015. I had to go to the clinic twice, because I had to go. And then they made me listen to this like weird fetal monitor where it like sounds like a hummingbird. And they're like, that's your, that's your fetus's heartbeat. And then I went back the next day to get an abortion. And luckily, the abortion provider I saw in Austin was very comforting. You know, he had to read the shit that Texas requires where it's like, abortion carries all these risks, but luckily he added all of his own amendments, like, but not nearly as many as pregnancy. Um, But just as someone who's been through that and understands that like, I think this idea that abortion is something that's like an impossible decision and very emotionally traumatizing. It's like, no, fuck that. Like it's healthcare. I feel so grateful that I was able to get an abortion, but even seven years ago, back when it was less regulated than it is going to be now, like it was so hard. I had to take extra time off work. I had to come up with money because none of it was covered by insurance. So it's like I've been there and so I I know what it's like to be in the position where you need to make that choice and it sucks and like even if you feel really good about it, the process of doing it is awful. So like just know that like I'm here for you anyone that has a womb that needs abortion care. Like please just if there's anything i can do like please please email me like this isn't just like some you know i'm not saying this to placate people like i genuinely am here to help if anyone needs it so
1: yeah. i yeah i mean um you know i'm i'm here in texas so not not much in you know i no one's coming to texas uh but but you know what i think of and just to kind of throw my my dumb two cents in here but it's like i just think of all the girls that like we grew up with like the girls from places like granberry that really would probably have done stupid shit if they did not have access to even get reproductive care in secret you know yeah like yeah that's ultimately gonna be the cost of this um this decision is like a lot of innocent people are going to resort to some very hacky shit to try to like deal with these issues at home and that's heartbreaking and ultimately like you know people are gonna die people are gonna die from doing shit like that and that's
0: also no more fucking republicans not at all if someone in your life that you have had sex with ever is a republican holds right-wing pro like pro-life quote-unquote views don't let them get in anymore no one gets to stick it in if they're not pro like pro choice so
1: yeah i mean really it's like i think a lot also i mean you know on a lighter note but like not a lighter note um i did see this tweet that was like a lot of dudes are about to find out that they are not worth it um, yeah
0: yeah and honestly fucking good But we just, I felt like we needed to talk about it up top, but we, this isn't like a political podcast, so we don't want to spend the entire time talking about it, not because we don't care, but because I think we assume like, like we do, you might need a bit of a reprieve to think about something else for a minute. So we're,
1: we're not going to talk about it for like a whole, like 45 minutes.
0: Yeah, because we all need a break. Um, We all need a break from doom scrolling because uh, if you don't take care of your mental health, you can't continue to show up in important ways. So I wanted to talk about plant communication, guys. It's something I think number one is a fascinating thing in nature, but also it's super important for anyone who works with plants magically. And I am like, I self-identify as a green witch, you know, like plant magic is super important to my practice in so many ways as an herbalist as a magical human, as a creature that inhabits this planet with plant life. And I think understanding the historical associations of various plants can be super helpful when you're trying to do spells, of course. You know, like we love Cunningham's encyclopedia. We love getting on the internet and finding like which deities things have historically been associated with. But nothing trumps your own intuition, right? Like your relationship with your plant allies is always going to be stronger than something you read in a book. So first, I want to talk about the cool ways, though, that plants talk to each other. And then I'm going to get into, like, my personal method for getting to know plant spirits and give you, like, a few ideas on how to get started, like, cozying up to the plants in your life. But my very favorite, super nerdy science plant topic is mycorrhizal networks, okay? And this is a perfect example of the magic that takes place, like, under our noses and literally under our feet, constantly in nature. This idea that humans are the pinnacle of evolution is a fucking joke. Like there's so much intelligence in the natural world. So plants and fungi actually communicate with other plants and fungi using what are called mycorrhizal networks. But the coolest part here is that the communication isn't limited to like same species conversations. They can literally communicate across species using the system which is like bonkers like how many species do humans actually communicate with you know
1: i mean I, I i and truly are we really communicating with our pets i do not think my cat's understand uh most of what's going on
0: no no And the cool thing about these like fungal networks is they're context dependent, right? So they can be affected by a lot of factors including like soil fertility and they can even change based on the season. But the most basic way to describe what it is is that mycorrhizal networks are underground hyphal networks created by mycorrhizal fungi and they connect individual plants together and through them they transfer water, carbon, nitrogen and other nutrients and minerals. And these are so complex, these mycorrhizal You can think about mycorrhiza as like basically string strings of fungus right that kind of connect things and these networks are so complex and they play a very important role in woodlands so of course like they got a cheesy nickname called the wood wide web oh
1: of course of course you know a came up some, with that. I was going to say some research guy in a plaid shirt came up with that.
0: Right. And he laughed and laughed and patted himself on the back. Uh, but the resource transfer here is thought to be driven by what's called a source sink model. Right. So plants that are in areas with like a lot of resource availability will transfer carbon or nutrients to plants located in less favorable places. So like the most common one we see is like forest canopy plants and trees transferring carbon to plants that are in the shaded understory because those plants aren't able to photosynthesize as easily so there's this amazing scientist of course it's a woman susan samard who did a lot of study on these networks in the wild by analyzing the dna and root tips and tracing the movement of molecules through underground conduits and when susan started doing this fucking well, Suzanne, when Suzanne started doing this research, all these male scientists were like, oh, this is girly bullshit. This is woo-woo. What the fuck are you talking about? And now she's like considered one of the like leading experts on this. But in her studies, she found that the fungal threads in the soil link nearly every tree in a forest, including like all species. And the resources tend to flow from like the oldest and largest trees to the youngest and smallest. Again, thinking about that resource sink. And if a seedling is like seared from the network, it's actually more likely to die or have stunted growth than one in the network. And it's like, wow, it's almost like humans and how when people get cut off from community, they tend to wither on the vine. But anyway, uh, I also love that sometimes they found that if a tree is on the brink of death, it'll actually like give its carbon to neighboring trees too. It's like, okay, look, I'm on the way out you guys take these resources. Boomers, pay fucking attention. So they can also use hormones though to sound an alarm. For example, if there's like a pest infestation, the first affected plants can actually warn others in their network who then might undergo something like a chemical change to make their flavor less appealing. And there've even been studies that show that roots move towards water sources, right? Which feels so logical, until you st- like take one step and you're like, wait, but how the fuck would plants know where water sources are? Communication networks. There are even certain like flowering plants that can sweeten their nectar when bees are near. Like, it's amazing. And these networks aren't forest specific either. Like, there are studies showing more and more examples of these basically anywhere plant life exists, including deserts. Desert plants communicate to each other so this is like a very brief overview of mycorrhizal networks but i just am fascinated by these like the fact that plants are talking to each other sharing resources it's like who knew and of course it was like a woman scientist who started thinking about this and everyone poo-pooed her and now she's right
1: and she was right and uh ultimately good for her
0: Hundo P. So, but as witches, right, how do we talk back to plants? So I'm going kind of off resource here, talking about my personal experience and suggestions. So like, take what you like, take what works, leave the rest. But I think one of the primary things I would suggest everyone do first is like, get to know your local flora. One of the like pitfalls I think of relying so much on historical resources as witches is especially for those of us that come from like Celtic backgrounds, A lot of the plants that have so much history aren't necessarily native, right? Like these aren't always plants that are growing wild near us. So even if you live in a city, there are plants, I promise you. Take a nature walk, walk somewhere where there is as much nature as possible. Even just a park is okay, but like walking down the sidewalk, plants will grow up through the cracks in the sidewalk. Like there are plants near you. So go on a walk. Get out and get outside, get out in nature or nature adjacent stuff. No headphones, no distractions. Just walk and notice. And you wanna do this a few times and like try to take in the plants around you, but don't go looking things up yet. Don't like try to figure out the exact species if you don't already know. That's okay. Like this is just about like noticing, right? Just taking things in, trying to absorb it. And then once you're familiar with your area, take a bit more time look through the specific plants and like see if one calls to you right what's a plant that maybe you notice all the time do you like constantly find yourself aware of like dandelions coming up through the cracks is there a sycamore tree that like fills you with awe and when you found that first plant that you want to get to know like any relationship you want to like spend time with it you need to get familiar with the energy and so I kind of talked about it last week, but for me, I think just an easy example is there's a sycamore outside my front door that has always felt special to me. Like ever since we moved in, I was like, oh my God, I love this tree. Like I'm so drawn to this tree. So one of the ways I started getting to know it is I would just like sit with it. I would sit next to the tree. I would lean against the tree. I'd touch the tree anytime I go outside. And that's all you have to do at first, right? Is just like get to know it sit in silence, ask the plant for permission to begin a relationship. And how does it feel, right? Like, does the energy have a color? Are you feeling like a specific emotion that comes to mind? Do you feel the energy and maybe like a specific part in your body? There aren't wrong answers here. Like, let it speak to you. And the way that you practice the craft is probably going to influence how you're experiencing the energy. So like, as an herbalist, Often I'll find when I'm getting to know plants, I'll like feel it in specific parts of my body. And I think it's just because like as an herbalist, as someone who works with plants medicinally and magically, so much of the way that I think about plants is like where they're touching our bodies, right? Like where that relationship is. But if you're not like, if that's not the type of craft you practice, it might feel different to you. And that's okay, right? Like you have to find your own way here. This is about you, your intuition. But when you've had your meditation time and you're ready to leave, thank the plant. And if you're able to, I think a small offering is always nice. So for me, one of the things I do with my sycamore is like I'll leave flowers and herbs at the base of the tree. Like there's always a little pile of like drying herbs and stuff. Um, But also if I do rituals like around the Sabbaths where we leave out offerings, things like libations, honey and milk, those also go out to the tree. And if it's a shorter-lived plant, of course, you're not going to be able to, like, go back to the same exact plant time and time again. But you can do this one or two times and, like, get to know the species. I often find that dandelions in an area feel very similar to each other, right? So it's, like, feel it out. And then if it's an herb or a plant that you want to use magically, you want to try to begin, like, to feel the associations that are calling to you, right? I think before you look it up, always just try to, like, use your intuition. Ask the plant, like, what what its strengths are, what it's good for. Like, I think good for sounds actually a little dismissive. It's like, what are the plant strengths? What kind of magic does this plant excel at? Like, how can it help further magical work? So it's like, do you work with planetary magic? Okay, like, what planet? Does it feel like? Does this feel like a Martian vibe? Does it feel lunar? If you're someone who works with deities, like, is there a specific deity that this feels related to? And then, if you'd like to take a piece of the plant for a spell to use um, magically or to make medicine, I think you should always ask for permission too. Right? Like, you might not get a yes right away, and you have to be ready to accept a no, which sometimes that's the answer. But when you do get a yes, like be respectful, only harvest what you need. Definitely make an offering if you're taking pieces away. Like a good rule of thumb for harvesting is you should never take more than a third of the plant material at one time because if you do, you could actually kill the plant. Um and a, of course, one of the things that I like to do like with my tree while I'm working on this wand, once my wand is finished, I'm going to take it and show it to the tree. You know, I think that's something else is like Show it what you're doing, because these are living creatures. They can communicate to each other. Why would we think they can't communicate with us? You can do this with dried plant matter, too. Personally, I have a harder time getting to know the energy of plants that are no longer living. But there is still energy there, for sure. And if you're someone who doesn't necessarily work with live plants often, you might have an easier time reading the energy of like dried plant matter. For me, it's difficult, but I think it's just because, like, I'm a gardener, I spend a lot of time with like house plants, that's just not the way that my magic works. But on that note, you don't have to exclusively do this with like nature plants either. I work with my house plants magically, they sit on my altar, and just because I'm not planning to like eat them or use a part of the plant in the spell doesn't mean you can't ask for the plant's energy to support your magic, right? Like, I have some really great, so Nadia, my uh, monstera, uh, she's like the mini monstera, monstera adansonii, like she is so great for abundance work. And I just know that from like becoming familiar with her. I love her. I also share cuttings of her with friends, which is another way to do magic with like your house plants, but I'm never going to eat her. She's poisonous. Like I, I'm not going to do that, but that doesn't mean that if I'm doing abundance work, I don't, like, ask for her to provide a little bit of aid. But you can still make offerings to them, right? Like, water them with moon water when you can. Source, like, good fertilizer. I like to use things like worm castings, fish emulsion, kelp, things that are natural. Um, They're not, it's not prohibitively expensive to source something. Like, I have a fish emulsion and kelp fertilizer that was probably about the same price as a thing of miracle Grow, So it's like, this isn't prohibitively expensive and you can get it online. Um, But yeah, you'll find that your houseplants have different personalities. And to me, even within like a species, and I think this is true of all plants, but with houseplants, because of the nature of them, it's like, even within species, sometimes they can have slightly different energies. And so just get to know them. Um, And that's where the fun of, like, plant magic comes in for me, right? Like, I love getting to know my plants. I learn the Latin names, how to take care of them, all the basics. But, like, as a magical person, you get this whole other layer of experience with plants that is so fun. But also, I think it's, like, an honor, right? Like, it's magical, but it's an honor to get to know plants and get to work with them. And, like, have the ability to cohabitate with these like amazing beings. And I think this type of work is like a muscle, right? Like the more you work it, the easier it becomes. And you might also start finding that like certain plants call out to you a lot more when you get into this work. So like, for example, last summer, I could not avoid dandelion. Like I would always see them. I would always hear from them. And they can be asking for attention and offerings but i've found too that sometimes especially if plants are also medicinal they can be offering you aid so like i have ibs and was quitting drinking last year so like it makes sense that i'd be hearing loud and clear from something that's like so good for digestion and like liver cleansing so you know i'm gonna call it here for now but in a couple of months i do have an episode planned where i'm going to talk about finding a plant familiar. So t- stay tuned for that. But I did use a few sources for the mycorrhizae section, um of course Wikipedia, and there's a really great New York Times article called The Social Life of Forests that I would suggest uh, checking out. So, love
1: love that. Love that. Uh, I feel like I feel like we're kind of getting back to our roots a little bit with this episode.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: And I and I do love that. Truly and kind of like speaking of getting back to your roots um i'm talking about poetry this week so i was actually really excited again i feel like this is like the hangover of gemini season but um i do just want to share up top though that i have loved both reading and writing poetry for most of my life um So, Shannon, and you don't have to say whether you think it's good or not, but I think uh, just confirm for everyone, the listeners, that I do, in fact, keep up with this practice, as evidenced uh, by the fact that I send you my um, notes app Poetry at three in the morning.
0: Yeah, no, it's first of all, it is great. I think Nick's a very talented writer, but all the time. It's I, I really enjoy when I wake up and I see that I have like six messages from Nick. I'm like, oh, Nick was writing last night, and it's yeah, great. Yeah. It's like I think it's such a special thing, and I'm I'm also very honored that you share it with me. But
1: oh yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that's that literally my note app is just full of poems. Um, and yeah, as a kid, loved, love, love, love poetry. Um, and Shannon, you remember my typewriter collection? I do. Nothing, nothing in this world that I love more than fucking around with the formatting of a poem with a typewriter. Good God. What a rush. Yeah. What an absolute rush. You know,
0: you're in good company. Tom Hanks also collects typewriters. Fun facts.
1: Uh, I, and I... I did know that. I did know that because I think that is, um, that's neat. That's, um, neat is the right word. Neat Yes. Yeah. Uh, he actually
0: loaned a lot of his collection for an exhibition at the LA Public Library a few years ago. That was cool. But yeah, for our listeners, Tom Hanks has a delightful collection of typewriters.
1: Um, and, but I think also, like, before I really and truly dive in, I want to talk about something which is, sort of happened in the poetry world that I am decidedly not okay with, which is sort of like the large scale relegation of the poetic arts to these sort of stuffy corners of academia. And like truly given the history of the art form, I feel like it goes against the spirit of the thing itself. Uh, I I feel like poetry is for the people. Uh, I. Because it's really, it's like, so much good poetry is like wrapped up in like social changes, like um, religious upheaval, like poetry is there, like poetry changes the world, or it documents the world in a way that is almost more complete than just a cut and dry factual yeah, of something cuz like
0: poetry can get at the things that aren't tangible evidence based things you know it's like the emotion the ethos like you're not going to get that in just like a straight cut and dry documentary
1: yeah and uh, you know and it's like the fact that you can capture so much emotional content It's like, you know, it's like, I like poetry, where it's like, you're describing a linoleum floor, but it's actually a poem about your mom dying. And for some reason, you're like crying at the end. Um,
0: Oh, yeah. We went to, um, so just a bit of a segue here for just a quick second. Uh, Last week, on Wednesday, Eric and I went to the show. There's this great artist, this non-binary artist, Alok who does these shows that are like part poetry reading, part stand up and like I was weeping by the end of one of them. It's like poetry is
1: so powerful. And that's that's really I think the meat of what I wanted to talk about today because poetry really is like like words are so powerful and then poetry is literally words that you have put the time and effort and, like, arranging them in an artistic way, uh, which makes it even more powerful, uh, and it's, um, and it's all, it's one of those things where it's, like, you remember poetry, like, yeah. I could tell you a story, and, okay, so, like, so, but it's, like, but it's, like, what is poetry, okay, and this is one of those things that is so, so, so tricky to define. Lots of varying opinions going literally all the way back to antiquity. One of the very first things people debated about is about, like, what is poetry? Like, um, but basically it is language that has been given structure beyond its most basic form. So I could tell you a story. I could be like, I went to the store and that would be like prose, right? Like I went to the store, I bought bread and milk and eggs, right? And, but if we were to season that with some structure, maybe some repeating lines, maybe some alliteration, maybe, maybe some, maybe some rhyming, okay? Maybe. But if we're like writing that too with like the spoken rhythm and like the cadence of whoever's speaking in mind, we kind of create this thing which is called poetry, okay? And that's, okay. okay. <laughs> It's like one of the very first things that people ever fucking argued about for hours on end was what is a poem and uh, a a a play can be written in poetry but it is still a play right but uh the individual pieces are are poems
0: yeah i feel like to me poetry it's almost like the whole thing with like pornography right where it's like i can't necessarily define it but i know it when i see it
1: yeah exactly exactly because like a good tweet can be a poem you know yeah
0: Nick has tweeted some poetry, y'all.
1: I I I absolutely uh, do tweet cryptic things, and that uh, poetry. It's poetry.
0: Yeah, it's poetry.
1: Um. Okay. Okay. So it's like here's an example. Here's an example of is this a poem? Um. Uh. Which is a tweet that I did where I said, uh, "Saying that you've been proposed to twice is a really lame way of saying you're single." Um. And that was uh. Is that a poem? I don't know. I think so. I think so. Uh, But really, but so poems do not have to run, but they have to have a like a a structure, like the difference between the difference between a poem and a paragraph is truly the structure. So it is kind of about how you write it. And there is this thing, too, when you're writing and reading poetry where it's literally like a space can do so much. Yeah. Where it's like, I, I don't know. And it's like when you're writing poetry and it's like that very like Shel Silverstein thing where it's like the structure of the poem has to do with the content of the poem as well. Or like, like, you know, I See so, you know, which shout out to, to Shel Silverstein.
0: I wept when Shel Silverstein died when we were in second grade. Like I, I cried
1: yeah. hard. It was like yeah. one of the
0: first like quote-unquote celebrity deaths that actually I remember rocking my fucking world like I was heartbroken
1: oh truly 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 and it's just like but uh, you know it's great example okay like the fucking giving tree oh my god break my fucking heart like this is why we are who we are this is why we are who we are because it's like it shapes it literally shapes your mind like poetry is used so much okay and that's kind of the thing too where it's like because of it's like this weird thing with memorization like so much of how what they teach you is all like little rhyming bullshit right um and then you remember it forever yeah and and somehow that works okay but it's also like songs like we do have to talk about music because lyrics are poetry Ly-
0: oh yeah
1: um Okay, the idea of poetry is almost as old as language itself, because uh, we talk about the structure of it as as though we're writing it down, but truly we're talking about the structure of it, the way that you speak it, the way you space it out, like putting emphasis on certain words and not putting emphasis on other words, and also um, colloquialisms, hello, like, but uh, the epic of Gilgamesh, which is also kind of like widely regarded as the first piece of literature. Um, sort of like a long-form story format, okay, uh, is written over 5,000 years ago. That is um, 50 centuries, if you're keeping track.
0: So many Uh, centuries.
1: That's a lot of centuries, okay. But it's based on an even older oral tradition, and guess what? It's written in verse, okay? And it's one of those things where um, it was written down at different times by different people but you can see the original and so that's kind of like how they know which parts of it are like the original parts and sort of like which parts are the add-on parts because the original parts have this same structure this same um cadence and so some of the added on parts try to recreate it but not faithfully and so you know it's like you can kind of date which parts of the epic of Gilgamesh were like added on at which times um because the writing's different poetry is so powerful because it is to me like the form of writing that can best convey voice I think prose is great but like as as a form of art I think with the thing with poetry is that you could say one word and it like uh, you know as like the reader like you understand what they mean because of, you know whereas with like a book you really have to spell it out for people um so it's like almost open to interpretation it's it's crazy it's absolutely but it's voice it's absolutely voice and like people with strong voices write the best poetry um oh
0: yeah yeah,
1: Because it's, like, truly, 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 like, when you read Edgar Allan Poe, like, you can hear this, like, sad Baltimore guy just sort of, like, you know, half-cocked on laudanum syrup, like.
0: Yeah. Can we also just, like, take a beat to thank Baltimore for some greats? Edgar Allan Poe, John Waters, like. Yeah.
1: Bal- okay,
0: Bal- Baltimore.
1: Okay, Baltimore. Like, <laughs> do um okay but but we're coming in strong with the mesopotamian connection because of course like mesopotamia is uh arguably the oldest culture in the world but they had poetry but like there is um if you look even in like a pre-mesopotamian way there is sufficient evidence that poetry goes all the way back with language and you know it's like here's why it's important because this is a way to maintain cultural memories and if we think about the druids in a very different part of the world but like these animistic religions like in africa in the middle east in the himalayas like what would go on to be like the indus valley civilization in china like along the yangtze like there's sufficient evidence that people were doing poetry even before they like lived in houses like these people were sitting around a fire and if we look at like the surviving animistic religions like what you would maybe want to call like a tribal religion what have you um like an indigenous sort of spirituality it's a lot of chanting it's a lot of chanting uh, it's a lot of percussion it's a lot of things that like really lend themselves to uh being a a kind of poetry but also you know it's like with these stories with these oral histories like making them with these mythologies even like making them into poetry just makes them like that much easier to remember and then retell Um, yeah
0: it's like very convenient for people that aren't necessarily writing things down
1: right 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 Uh, uh and Again, the fuck the druids for never writing anything down. Like I would love, I would love to be able to read some like druids poetry the way I can read Sappho, which right we're jumping ahead a little bit but like I did read a bunch of Sappho poems this week because I'm really just like a lesbian at heart and
0: yeah you were definitely a lesbian in a past life
1: I definitely was a lesbian in the past life thank you for noticing and um but no I was like reading Sappho's poetry and it's truly like that lady really loves her friends
0: I do love isn't it and god was it was it Sylvia Plath there was some poet that they, that, like, historians are, like, you know, when her good friend would send her letters, and it was, like, in one of her letters, she was, like, I lick the envelope seal in case I can still taste you. And they're just, like, they were friends. It's <laughs> they, were, like,
1: they were friends. Well, no, it's very much, like, Emily Dickinson, like, lived with her best friend and shared a bed with her. and Yeah,
0: it's, like, I adore you, Nick. I have never once licked anything you sent me because, um we're actually friends
1: we're actually friends (laughs) no and it's like i'm not writing uh epic length poetry about the power of our friendship um no
0: because it's great but like we're not fucking like that's
1: but okay but so but the connection with poetry and spirituality though it does go all the way back um because again chanting chanting is a form of poetry sorry i didn't I did not make that rule. Okay, that's just something that people think is true, is that chanting is kind of poetry. And, but going back to, like, more of, like, a brick-and-mortar civilization, like, Mesopotamians had hymnals. So, like, the king of Sumeria would sing this, like, hymn to the goddesses, um, which was, like, this love poem. Um, Again, lyrics are poetry. Uh, Sorry that's I did not come up with those rules that's just a thing um but so he would like sing this love poem to the goddesses uh in this like yearly ritual um and then also like you know they would they had hymns in Egypt they had like proper hymns like like a hymnal so you would have like different songs for different gods different temples you know whatever but they had like a sort of an official Egyptian hymnal, which is lovely, and that idea kind of carries over into, um, Hebrew culture and Greek culture. So the Hebrews, obviously, people in America who were raised, uh, Christian will be familiar with Psalms, uh, or people who were raised raised Jewish, I'm so sorry, because, uh, that is your book that's y'all's book too
0: yeah I mean also Muslim
1: <laughs> yeah well but the, I don't think the Psalms like the Torah the Torah is not part of the Muslim tradition though
0: no but they have they have Psalms they do so they it's do like they're they, all Abrahamic they, they all come from the same roots so yeah They have,
1: like, but but I'm just saying like the Psalms they have their they have their own they have their own version of that but I'm saying like literally the Torah
0: hundo P, the same also like talking about the old testament man there's like which psalm is it there's a psalm that talks about bashing babies heads against rocks
1: which yeah there's a, okay yeah there's there's a lot of fucked up shit in the bible um but they did a lot of the bible is written in verse it, uh, like a versic structure um, yeah like
0: genesis uh-huh. is a poem
1: it's a poem uh, and there's a reason for that, because, again, it's easier to remember these things as you're, like, telling them around the fire, which is, like, very important to people back in the day. They would tell stories around the fire, and, you you know, it's like if you're telling the story of how God created the world, that's one you want to remember. Uh, it's an important story. So, yeah, it's a poem. The, po- the Bible is is basically a book of poetry. Um, and the Quran is definitely a book of poetry. Like... Which, actually, I think some of the poetry in the Qur'an is very beautiful, like, I don't find it spiritually moving, but um, I think it's very beautifully written. And so, um, I think sort of this, like, ceremonial practice, though, of reciting poetry is going to be, like, our bridge to modern witchcraft, though. Um, And again, we really can trace it all the way back, Uh, and I think Greece, though, is a good place to stop off because, A, they did have a whole muse of poetry. Like, they really, really, really were into the poetic arts. Um, So we have Calliope, who is the chief of the muses, being also the muse of uh, heroic poetry. Um, But also, like, if we're talking about important poetry, the Odyssey and the Iliad, um, are epic length poems like they're not just stories like they were literally written as poetic verses um so and they were meant to be like performed and read out loud um so but also like shout out to the aeneid the aeneid for being like the roman equivalent of the odyssey um but also like ancient greece right so like is really a time and place that we start to get like whole plays written in verse and so these were often about or in honor of the various gods and goddesses um and i think this is good news for westerners because ultimately this idea of doing like plays in verse kind of leads ultimately into Shakespeare, and, like, that great tradition of, like, English language drama largely being presented in verse for a very long time. Um, and that's, I mean, some of the best poetry that we have comes from Shakespearean plays, and Like, all of those really great soliloquies written in verse are like, are beautiful poems in and of themselves. Yeah. And this is coming from a guy who also just wrote beautiful poetry, like, but the fact that, like, even just these plays are also just, like, beautiful poems. Like, I think uh, it was was a great uh, cultural phenomenon, again, to, to kind of come out of ancient Greece, and so we thank them for that. Uh, For kind of making that leap from it being this sort of, like, art form that was kind of mostly reserved for, like, sacred things. hymnal, You know, like, music was a religious thing, and, like, uh, verse was a religious thing. And then you kind of start doing these plays at these festivals, and then you kind of get into this, like, heroic poetry, which is kind of purely for entertainment. And um, really opens up kind of the Western world to like romance poetry, which I personally love. I love the like romant- the romantic era of poetry. Like, so, like I love a good sonnet, you know, like it's just, it, it is what it is. Um, but so kind of, again, we wanted to talk about this bridge between like sort of like a, a Greek hymn, a Greek hymnal to like, modern witchcraft right so obviously we have the celts the celts loved poetry the celts loved you know like the druids would love to carry around a little harp and and recite poetry and uh, they didn't write any of it fucking down so we don't really know what it was all about but we can assume that it was a lot about trees and um you know probably a lot of history i'm sure there's a lot of great poetry that we're never going to hear about the Tootha um and all of those wacky Celtic characters. Um, but we cannot talk about like kind of bridging this gap between the sort of ancient world and like modern paganism without talking a little bit about the Poetic edits, which is how so much of the history of Norse paganism was preserved in this poetic form. Um, which is great and but also it's like you, you know the norse people were fucking around with poetry as a way to like remember these very important cultural stories and i think that's kind of you know where where we can kind of look at um as modern witches is like so the wiccan read the wicked i mean and you know i'm not going to recite the rick and weed it is the the wiccan read oh my god w and r should not be that close together uh, but it but it's like sort of this uh this very long poem that's sort of about like the fundamental tenets of wiccanism wicca um which i i thought was lovely like i i thought it was lo- well written like you know and it's like uh but when when you're reading it, it does seem so much more powerful because it is written in verse, you know? Like, you could write a manifesto about what the general tenets of Wicca are, and that would kind of, you know, I don't want to say go in one ear and out the other because I'm interested in it, right? But, like, the fact that it's a poem, the fact that these verses literally just kind of, like, stick in your head instantly, the, just just this, like, mere amount of structure, like, does help you, remember and I think you know it's like that's what's it
0: yeah I was gonna say I think that's also what makes it powerful like what makes poetry in particular powerful for magic because if you're like reciting spells you don't want to be reading from a book when you're doing your magic you're not able to actually channel your energy so it's like even just the practical side of it making it easier for you to memorize things there's so much power in that
1: there's so much power in that and then also, you know, it's like because there's so much symbolism involved in doing ceremonial witchcraft, I do think poetry is like a natural part of that because it's like really yeah. like when you're writing, you know, it's just like when you're writing poetry, and, and this is kind of where I'm going off onto like my own tangent because like as someone who's writing, it's like there is, def- and I'm someone who does not meditate and I like I literally just say that I have fucking ADD like nobody's fucking business okay like legit reasons that meditation does not work for everyone I'm sorry it's just like one of those things where it's like I understand that it is a good practice and I certainly try to incorporate elements of like a good meditation practice into my own practice but as far as just like sitting there and truly not thinking or like being in this kind of flow state it's hard for me to get there but when I'm like writing poetry it is it is a flow state for me it's absolutely like open up the channel and just like let whatever comes through out yeah and I would say it's like even just like the act of writing poetry is magic like i don't know i don't know how i do do not know how else to describe it but there is this like connection it it's it to me it's spiritual but it is but i i mean like even just like take it out of context with like spirituality like it is this flow state like there is just like this channel that opens up and like stuff comes through and i think even if you're not intending to share it like getting into that state and just like fucking around with writing some poetry is gonna be incredible for anyone who is a practicing witch. Like, but also I would say kind of easing it into your craft. Like we do so many homebrews here at once and fronds. And it's like if you can write a verse of your own magical poetry to do as your incantation. I say I believe that that is more powerful than if you were to just buy a book or go do some research online and, like, take something that someone else has written that someone else has done and just do that. And I would say that's fine. That's absolutely fine. If you do, if you are not taken by the creative spirit and doing, like, engaging that is not your thing still be a witch you know buy buy a book do spells from a book that's you know i'm not saying that's bad but i'm personally saying i believe that there is more power in it when you are kind of crafting these things yourself when you are coming up with your own incantations and you are also like calling upon the deities that you want to call upon like you know uh, and like it's 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 custom it's it's so much more custom and I I just think that I just think there's something to that I absolutely think there's something to that and I also think though I mean you know it's like on the side of just like emotionally processing so when I first started writing poetry it was actually at the recommendation of um my therapist that I went to as a kid because I, I had to I had to do this like court ordered like family therapy kind of thing when my parents got divorced It was really messy, and I was really young, and um, I had to go see this therapist, but, like, one of the ways, you know, and I was dealing with a lot of, like, emotional turmoil. um, And one of the ways that they had me deal with that was by writing poetry. And it really just stuck as, like, kind of my main exercise in journaling, too. Like, I don't journal, I I just write poetry. And I'm gonna be honest with you guys, sometimes I will just write poetry and burn it because I'm like, I don't think it's good or like, I can't get it just right. or like it sometimes it's just not even meant to like share. Sometimes poetry is just not meant to share. but the the sort of cathartic feeling of like writing something out, talking around with i I, I would say it's it's magic in and of itself, right? Like letting letting yourself like, be open to your own emotions and letting it out onto a page and you know there's almost this feeling of like you really are putting like a piece of yourself onto the page and I feel like therapeutically sometimes it can be good to like take things that you maybe don't like about yourself and like explore that you know or like insecurities or like things that make you uncomfortable like and like really you can take it not out of yourself but like you could kind of like look yourself in the eye by like doing these writing exercises and I guess kind of all of this to say all of this to say that I think as modern witches there is like this place I think for appreciating poetry like if nothing else I think that some appreciation should go into the craft that goes into when people are writing their own spells like the like there's some beautiful verse that's out there in other people's spell books you know it's like so i i don't know i i just feel like that that there's like a level of respect for the craft that 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 i feel like we could strive for um just in and of itself but also i would say Again, it's like this act of creation I think is very much what witches are about. And I really think it's like it's a, I, I, like bringing this into your craft is just such, would be such good synthesis for people who have these kind of like creative tendencies. And it's like, you don't have to be on script. You do not have to be on book. You can kind of come up with this stuff yourself. And yeah, maybe it'll be better it, and um oh, the last thing i will say the last thing i will say is that pe- there, people have a better handle of poetry than i think they give themselves credit for and one example that i am gonna throw out is like do you have like weird little songs and stuff that you sing to your pets shannon i'm asking oh you to, i am asking all you the this time question. okay so it's like all I'm the nothing.
0: time I like I it's kind of like a game where Eric and I will take uh songs that we enjoy modern songs and sure. we will uh rewrite them lyrically yeah. for Willow
1: for Willow um and yeah I that's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about though because I I do the same thing I do the exact same thing and you're you're I mean I write poetry As a hobby and also as part of my craft, but I've heard people that are not in into that, you know, like when you're doing something like that, just like come up with amazing stuff off the top of their heads. And I'm not saying like sit down and write some very intense poetry about Persephone and the underworld, like right away okay, but fuck around with it, like, I think, and I think you would find, and you would kind of have that level of confidence, like, think about all of the weird little songs you've, like, written for your pets that are actually good and catchy, like, you have it in you to write good poetry about, again, you know, like, I, I, I did read some poetry about Persephone in the underworld, because I'm, I have a Cancer Mars, okay, I just, I just have to throw that out there every couple of episodes to remind people that i am a soft boy okay and
0: you've got a soft and gooey center
1: i do but it's like you you are you are better at writing poetry than you know and I, I i just think that's one example like you know like rewriting lyrics to songs to be about weird stuff um even like i don't know um so sometimes we'll just make up weird songs about like lasagna at work and stuff like
0: yeah i love i mean writing songs for your pets is really fun uh like we've rewritten psycho killer to be about willow uh that's that's a good one yeah but also like i'll just get going and and it is fun because also i'll like give willow dialogue where sometimes she's like not your best work mother and i'm like i know um but i think it's also important to remember that like you don't have to be good at it to do it and eventually like you'll probably start making stuff you like but most artists and writers and like anyone who's creative makes a bunch of shit to get the few things that they really like out
1: and it's like they it's this thing they call composting right yeah where especially with writing okay if you want to write something write something and you're gonna throw away most of it yeah that's part of it it's okay part of the honey? it's part of it okay like go okay it's like you know you have like five dollars on a half price gift card floating around in your wallet somewhere go get like five of those 98 cent journals at half price books and just write some shit. Okay. Yep. Literally, that's how you start. But um, also, I will end here by saying that if anyone is interested in reading my my shitty notes at poetry, uh, feel free to hit me up. Uh, Shannon, how could they do that?
0: Um, you could reach out to us through our Instagram. is probably one of the quickest, easiest ways to get a hold of us. That's at Wands and Bronze Pod on Instagram. You can also go old school. Send us an email. Uh, which is wandsandfrancepod at gmail.com carrier pigeons you're gonna need to email us or message us to get our addresses and if you want even more if you want to like talk to us directly if you want to join our coven meeting which will have already happened by the time this is posted live uh but monday night so tomorrow night there's going to be a small coven meeting for people on our patreon which is patreon.com slash Pod. we're pretty easy to find y'all And if you want to support us and you don't necessarily have the cash money to do a Patreon, rate, review, subscribe, honey. It's super easy. You guys know the system. You listen to podcasts. Just do it.
1: Excellent. And um, I would say, you guys, um, on that review, okay, we have come up with a lovely template just to make things that much easier for you. So if you're on Apple Podcasts for instance and you wanted to just leave a little review because you love us and we're gorgeous. Um that's going to be this podcast is good five stars.
0: Yeah. The end. You don't even have to think. Look at you guys, we yeah. took all the thinking out of it for you. You're welcome. And Nick will give you a free one tarot card reading. Yeah, that's right. If you post
1: a review that says this podcast is good, five stars, I will do a one card tarot pull for you hit us up on Instagram to redeem this incredible offer which um economists have valued at $100
0: oh conservatively
1: conservatively um yeah worth 100
0: $100 One hundred. Uh, all right well let's talk about agma so this is a celtic deity so you guys know we're going to be talking about the tuatha de so the two of and remember, it's like basically the story of the gods and goddesses that were born from Dagda and Danu. And one of their children was our dear friend Ogma. And he was said to be the fairest of Danu's sons and he was born with a talent for poetry and writing. And because of these powers, he came up with a lot of languages and he wrote a ton of poetry, like you do. You know he was filling up a billion of those like 85 cent notebooks that we were just talking about. He was also said to have had a sunny countenance, like literally rays of sun beaming from his hair. But because of his love of language, he came up with a way for people to write things down which clearly didn't mean shit to the fucking druids. So perhaps they should have paid a bit more attention. But since he came up with a writing tradition, it was named after him. And this is where we get, you'll hear it Americanized pronounced Agum a lot. I know it's technically Oum. So you'll hear it pronounced both ways, but I don't want to just say Oum and then assume that you guys know what I'm talking about because I always hear it pronounced Oghma or Agum. So, oem, but it's a fascinating writing system. We see it on inscriptions from the fourth to the sixth centuries AD, and it was used mainly to write Old Irish, but it also was used for Old Welsh, Pictish, and even Latin, and it was based on a high medieval um, briarthagoram, Briar God, there's so many, like, words today. Briar, Tharagam tradition where the names of trees were assigned to individual characters. So trees, obviously a big deal to the Gaelic peoples. And this is actually one of the only alphabets that's written and read vertically from bottom to top, you know, like the direction that trees grow. How cool is that? So like rooms, uh, each Oum symbol has a name. So for example, the letter B is called Beha or Birch. The letter C is call or hazel, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and the twenty letters are called theta, which means trees, and they're grouped into four ekma families of five letters each, and each letter is a cluster of one to five lines that's usually scratched along like the vertical edge of a stone. So throughout Ireland, Scotland, and Western Britain, i.e., where like my mother's side of the family is from. There are more than 400 surviving OM inscriptions on stone monuments, and we know for certain that it was used to write personal names on the edges of standing stones like like memorials, for example, but also potentially as like boundary or border markers. But we have references in old Irish literature that also talk about OM used on sticks to send messages like post office style, like, you know, scratching out a stick note to someone passing it along, but they were also used to record information and the to do magic. So there are so many other versions other than Ogma um, that tell us how like Oum came to be, including there's like a tie-in to the Tower of Babel. But there are some really interesting quirks that like muddy the waters even more when we try to like trace the lineage of it. And in Shetland, they have found Oum representing Norse words. Like fucking awesome. So in Killaloe, there's actually a stone dedicated to a Scandinavian settler, Torgrim, which is written in Norse runes and then replicated in Oum. So if you go to oum.co, there's actually a really cool translator. It's a great tool if you wanna incorporate it into your magical practice. Um, But the most common way to use Oum for magic is in divination, right? So you can find or make staves that have an Oum symbol on each stave. And I've even seen some folks, and like these sets are amazing, where each stave is made from the wood that the OM symbol characterize like symbolizes. Um, and so it'll be like Bea would be on a birch stave, and then it would have the character carved into it, which is like fucking epic. But you can also like make staves, right? And if you do this, there's just an om symbol on each stave there are even some people who do it where each um like you can use it on stones like you would on runes and if you're going to make your own like ohm throwing stones basically just make sure you're using like a writing implement that doesn't easily rub off like it sounds sounds logical but you guys would be surprised how many like different writing materials pretty quickly fade off of stone so But the way you do the divination traditionally is to place all your staves in a bag, think about your question and pick one to five staves depending on the complexity of the question. And after that, it's like interpretation. But because in O.M. the characters are represented by trees, one of the ways that the divination works is you use the correspondences that you would associate with the tree when you're interpreting. So for example, if you drew bega or birch, That tree represents new beginnings, change, new ideas. The ash tree, it's about fate, divine processes, spiritual inspiration, taking action. Like this is a really interesting divinatory tool, but the basic mechanics of it, you're already familiar with through things like tarot. Um, I think it makes sense to work with Ogma if you want to get into using Oum as a divinatory tool. And of course the offerings to him are pretty straightforward, milk, honey, always good bets, libations. But I also love the idea of writing poetry that you dedicate to Agma. So you could write a poem on a piece of paper and like burn it in a cauldron as an offering. You know, use that, burn a poem that's written about the thing that you're trying to manifest. You know, offer it out to Agma, ask for his assistance. Agma I think is also just like clutch if you're a writer in general or really any type of creative who uses words as a medium but really that's all i have it's like pretty pretty straightforward i just wanted to like talk a bit about ogma and about oum Og- Ogum as like a system so the sources i used today were treesforcities.org thecottagemystic.com druidry.org and of course oom.co so woo,
1: love that um just circling back around because I did have this kind of ending prepared for poetry, and then I completely dropped it because I spaced out. We're doing <laughs> this is um this is a morning wands and fronds, everybody. And yeah, Nick this is,
0: might be the earliest we've ever recorded.
1: The- Nick is not a morning person, so just bear with me here. But I did kind of want to finish out poetry though by saying that. Po- uh, you know, as far as, like, working with it in your craft, uh, I do feel like poetry very much has, like, lunar associations. Like, the obvious association would be Mercury or, like, Venus, if we're talking love poetry. But for me personally, I feel like the I, the poetry, like, the flow, it's like, I'll, I I definitely feel the moon very acutely, as you know. Yeah. Like, I'm often up for days at a time around the full moon. But uh, it's also,
0: and, like, the lunar cycles are changing, and there's movement yes. and cadence. Yeah, I have yes, to yes, see yes. that.
1: I feel, but I feel like, I feel like poetry is very lunar. I feel like lunar people, like, people with, like, lunar and mercurial placements are gonna have this, like, natural proclivity towards poetry. Yeah. I feel like, and I feel like lunar people are very moved by poetry.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, y'all, I I am not joking. I was like weeping at this poetry reading. <laughs> like, I think some people are hit by it more, but I also think that um, if you're a magical person and you've maybe written off poetry as something for beatniks and black turtlenecks, open up your mind. Come back to it. Don't let the stereotypes come away.
1: Come back to it. Yeah, and that's kind of what I meant about, like, being, like, a stuffy academic thing.
0: Yeah. Because really, if, when
1: you start looking into, like, modern poetry, like, there really is this kind of, like, pretentious Ivy League kind of slant towards things with poetry and it's like, honey.
0: Poetry's for the people.
1: Poetry's for the people. You don't have to go to Harvard to say the word faggot and talk about cigarettes.
0: Yeah. Also, like, and we're not just, like, ragging on those guys. Like, I have, my degree is in American Studies, but my minor is in English. Like, we're not saying this to say it's bad, and we're not saying it to rag on people, but it's just the truth about what happened. Like,
1: but it's But it's, like, to those people. I would say, I... I've I've read great modern poetry and I have read absolutely pretentious gatekeepy modern poetry and it's like where is I mean that line's going to be different for everyone but I would say don't be gatekeepy as a community uh, as poets or you, you know or it's like don't be intimidated by that because honestly like they do not represent the art form uh even though they do currently seem to be the custodians of it
0: yeah very good point snaps for that
1: so all of that to say but yeah i feel like moon people moon people are poetry people so I to agree. all to all the moon witches out there but um okay well we're very close to the bitter end which means it's tarot scope time and it's my week y'all and we're living in this space of I'm no longer getting to uh, give good news. Well, I mean, I would say this isn't necessarily bad news, but it's here's a the read. Th- <laughs> it's it's a bit of a read. You saw what I wrote, but like I I'm did. not. Um. Anywho, so this week I drew for um for my little uh, zodiac deck, and I've got it right here. Um, Libra.
0: I just love the little kitty holding the
1: scales. Little kitty holding holding the scales. Um, and for you guys, I drew the Knight of Cups reversed, which is telling me that you guys are sort of, like, living in a fantasy world. Um, and, like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think sometimes it's very tempting to live in a fantasy world, to, um, to perhaps drop everything you own and move across the country, right? But in this situation, reality in some form or another has reared its ugly head into your escapist fantasy. And here's 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 what we're saying, here's what we're saying is that like stuff like that is going to happen. It's not necessarily the healthiest thing to live in a fantasy world. And um, ultimately it's like, Really, not productive to be mad when, like, the reality of your situation is setting it. Like, and that's 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 tough love. That's tough love, babies. Like, you just have to, you gotta keep one foot on the ground. Okay. It's like, we know, and especially with Libra, I'm like, we know that you guys kind of have your heads in the clouds. And that's something that's beautiful, even, but one foot on the ground. You gotta keep one foot on the ground, honey.
0: And I, it's like, I get it, y'all. I got a Pisces moon. I understand living in the daydream. But yeah. 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 Even my, like, my spirit guide turtle has kicked me back to the real world before.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah. Cause sometimes you got to check in. Sometimes you got to yeah. check in with the real world. Um,. And that's, that's all, that's all I have for you guys. Um, so, you know, check in with the real world. Uh, call an Aries or Virgo friend.
0: Yeah. Or even a Gemini. Call your Mercurial friends. Like... Yeah, call call a Mercurial.
1: Um, yeah, just call, you know, call someone who's going to tell you. Mm-hmm. Call a, call a fucking
0: Capricorn. Oh my God. I mean, if you want to cry. I, uh... I mean. <laughs> I say, as someone who adores Capricorns, but like sometimes you need tough love, and sometimes not that tough.
1: <laughs> not yeah. Well, you know, maybe maybe I'm just like you know, just to just to rip off the bandaid because I'm That's just true. like I'm just like just get it over with, you know.
0: That's true. I don't have any strong cancer placements, but I do acknowledge that my Pisces moon gives me that soft boy edge, where sometimes I'm like, <laughs> ow, no. Ow, no. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I think that's all she wrote.
1: All right, well, to all of you poetic bitches.
0: Oh my God, you sexy poetic bitches. Blessed be bitches. Blessed be you poetic
1: bitches. Bye darling. Goodbye. gonna drag you over to this corner.
0: Do I look great over. in this corner now?
1: You you do, you do. you you're like, honestly you were meant to be on in the, on this side of the computer screen as opposed to this other side. Like you were over here, now you're over here. Um,
0: you're like, that's your angle.
1: <laughs> and we're living, we're living, give us a turn. Um, we're
0: living, we're laughing, we're loving
1: oh my god i literally said that at work today because because it's like that that kind of gay thing where i i don't know gay vernacular where people are like oh i'm living and I was like oh yeah. i'm living i'm laughing i'm loving and then someone was like get the fuck out of here and it was like um you're like no. don't come
0: from my culture
1: don't come from my culture me? my mom is literally named karen i can live i i literally I come from live, laugh, love, all right. You're like,
0: I come from a long lineage of living, laughing, and loving (laughs) and putting it on signs from Hobby Lobby around my house. (laughs)